0: Hi, I'm Andy Murray. Welcome to It's a Customer's World podcast. Now more than ever, retailers and brands are accelerating their quest to be more customer-centric. But to be truly customer-centric, it requires both a shift in mindset and ways of working, not just in marketing, but in all parts of the organization. In this podcast series, I'll be talking with practitioners, thought leaders, and scholars to hear their thoughts on what it takes to be a leader in today's customer-centric world. In this very first episode, I have with me Matt Waller. Matt is the Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas. Matt began his career at the U of A in 1994 as a visiting assistant professor and has been the Dean of the college since 2016. Matt also co-founded Bentonville Associate Ventures and has had opinion pieces appearing in the Wall Street Journal and Financial Times. In this first episode, Matt and I will talk about customer-centric leadership and this new podcast series, how it was started, and some of the things I found most surprising throughout my 12 interviews with different thought leaders in customer-centric industry. Hi, Matt. It's great to see you today. How are you? I'm really well, Andy.
1: Thank you so much for having me on your your podcast. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, this is our first one in a series of 12, and I thought it'd be really appropriate to have uh, you be the first to help kick off the series of It's a Customer's World. And it really did start with your vision. And I'd love for you to just talk a bit about why customer centricity is important and what you see uh, as that as a topic uh, for the Walton College of Business and perhaps what you see in business today.
1: I'll talk about that, but I wanted to mention, I love the title. Mm. It's a customer's world. What a great name for this series of podcasts. And, you know, I know you've already done the 12 interviews, and so I'm going to want to ask you some questions about that, obviously. But Andy, you know, the reason that I really wanted you to help the Walton college make customer centricity more of a core component of what we're doing is because it's becoming more important the consumer and the customer are becoming more important than ever you know a long time ago there used to be more monopolies and it was easier to control the market right but now nobody can control the market right i mean it People can enter the market through e-commerce and they can become well-known through social media and many other platforms. And so, you know, back then, being able to get to the product the, yeah. it was like the, the owner of the product, the owner of the patent, the owner of the natural resource. They had all the power. Yeah. All of that has shifted to the customer and the consumer. So customer centricity is very important for that reason. One other reason, Andy, that it's mm. important from my perspective as the Dean of the Walton College is today going forward for, for business schools and for universities in general, it used to be that universities and colleges had something that was so unique that they could offer that the only way you could get this stamp of approval mm. was from a, a university or college. Right. Right that's changing. Right. And there's more and more certifications. Companies are coming out with their own colleges and universities. There's all kinds of badges and courses that are free. Right. So, so universities have to be looking at the customer. Now, for a university, the customer isn't just the student. The student is a customer. Right. But the parents are a customer. Right. The, the companies that hire our students are customers. The state of Arkansas, in our case, is a customer. So we have we have a lot of customers to look at, and if we're not customer centric, we're going to take our eye off the ball and we're going to fail. Yeah, and, and you know, industry 100%. companies that no one ever thought would fail have failed. So yeah. we've got to be on our toes, and it's very important that we teach our students. About customer centricity. If you think about Andy, you yeah you've been a very successful entrepreneur. You've been a successful entrepreneur at major corporations, mm-hmm. including the Fortune One company. But but you know students that are whether they're wanting to go into work for working for big companies or startups, they need to understand customer centricity. If they're going to be working for a startup or starting their own company, the whole Path of an entrepreneur begins with solving a problem of a customer that's right and then getting tons of feedback from customers about their minimum viable product until yeah. they really start scaling the same thing's true in industry so my point is um, Andy, I really think what you're yeah. doing is of the essence of business right now mm. we've got to be more focused on the customer and so So one question I have Mm, for you, I'm learning, you know, there's, there's so much I don't know about customer centricity. Mm. You would think a business school dean would be an expert (laughs) at this, but who is these days? And so one of the reasons I wanted to collaborate with you on the customer centric leadership initiative is because we need to explore this. And so one question I have for you, you've made, you've done these 12 interviews Now, what are some macro themes that you've seen that have emerged from these?
0: That's a great question, Matt. And I, like you, approach this as a learning journey to go interview uh, different people that have different perspectives. And so where it was informed from was a wide variety of people that you wouldn't normally think would be there to just talk about customer centricity, but starting from looking at who's, re- what's the brief at the C-suite? for how does that look for senior leaders today and where does customers show up in that and so one of the podcast interviews is with a, a, a top recruiter at the c-suite level brendan malloy who sent me a brief for a ceo job and i looked at it and i said i think you sent me the wrong one i i, I sent it back i said i think you got these mixed up this looks like for a chief customer officer and she said andy that's the point the briefs that you're seeing today, uh, no, that is for the CEO of a large apparel brand. And she said, I'm seeing that very commonly across the briefs uh, from the search committees at the top, where they're looking for leaders that have a real good understanding of what drives customer experience, customer engagement, and uh, how you drive empathy through a culture, all those kind of things. And I thought that was quite fascinating. So first of all, I think tops of companies see it. And then the second kind of thing I, I saw the emerge through that, some of the interviews was being customer centric had three core pillars to it method. There's definitely some methodology there, underpinned primarily by agile. So, agile is a core technology to be uh, customer centric from a method standpoint, but then mindset and motivation were the other two elements. And the mindset was so fascinating to hear across the board of what does it mean to have a customer-centric mindset? And that was fascinating to hear. And then motivation. How do you look at it as something that crosses the whole company? Because quite honestly, this could have almost been a study on employee engagement Hmm. as much as it was customer centricity because very few people that are making headway with being customer-centric park the the employee or colleague or associate topic to the side because you really end up shipping your organization. And so how connected those two worlds are uh, showed up in those three pillars in a pretty big way.
1: Andy, when it comes to customer centricity, what are some surprises you've come upon through your interviews and your experience?
0: Yeah, well, uh, i quite a bit through the interviews for sure. One of the first surprise I got, I interviewed a, a gentleman, a futurist, well-known futurist who worked with Pudis' group, uh, Rashad Tabakawala. And the very first thing I said when I said, you know, what do you think about with customer centricity? And he said, well, first of all, you got to kill the name. Customer is a horrible name. And I thought to myself, not out loud, of course, well, there goes our initiative. <laughs> and so we're going to have to start over with renaming it. <laughs> but <laughs> But he made the point, he made the point that think about it, customer is a transaction. That is a transactional phrase and definition of a relationship. And I'd never thought about it that way. And he said, we should call it people. It's about people. And when you start thinking about customers as people, and not customers, then it it does do something in the brain that that flips that I, I hadn't thought about before. And so that was a fascinating insight around how we limit ourselves by treating just even the word customer and looking at it through a transactional lens versus how they feel, how they think, and the more human element. And so probably one of the big surprises how much humanity and being human and the empathy behind that is such a core theme in every thought leader that I've talked to and every practitioner. And then how that could play out in some very powerful ways. One of the interviews was with uh, uh, Sarah Fryer, the CEO of Nextdoor. And I found that fascinating. But one of the little surprises in there, they were concerned about community, especially with all the social unrest and with COVID. The conversations in in the community of Nextdoor app was something they wanted to keep as a clean community. They wanted it to be a, a good neighborhood and positive and thoughtful and all of that versus some of the other social platforms that it just is almost intolerable at times. And so what they created which I was genius using technology and some human thinking is a little AI app um, module or pop up that sits inside there and and if you start typing something as a message to your community that may not be the kindest way to put it or uh, or has some really aggressive terrible things you might be thinking on your mind and starting to type the kindness reminder pops up. Hmm. And it's an app based on AI that says hey okay, just want to reinforce our core values you can send this email i'm just going to remind you that uh about kindness a little bit you know and, and not not in a judgmental way too much but whatever and they had tremendous results Up to like 40 percent of people that were typing something they probably would have regretted later stopped and they re-edited it and they thought about it a small percentage went ahead very very small and what i also found is that kindness reminder pop-up stopped coming up once you'd seen it once you did it didn't you know they learned they learned about the values and so I actually thought that was genius house if I could get that on my work email but uh, (laughs) that could come in handy for a lot of people beyond the next but what do you think about that isn't that crazy what
1: a great application of artificial intelligence you know because we all I mean people don't want to be rude no in hindsight, after we're rude, we regret it. Yeah. Um, so, to use technology to help us to be notified when we're starting to be rude, that would be quite helpful. You know, back, the, you're talking about customer centricity really being about people, humanity. Yep. I think this is an interesting point because, right, business is about people. Yes. In general. And I think customer centricity, as you've defined it, and as you're exploring it, is really getting to that kernel. It's getting to the kernel of what business is about. And when you were saying that, one thing that it reminded me of, you know, I've had two kids graduate from the University of Arkansas. I have one child who's a senior in the Mm -hmm. Walton College. I have another child who will be a freshman in the Walton College next fall. And I've, I've lived in Fayetteville, Arkansas for, yeah. since 1994. Mm. And as a result, I know lots of kids in Arkansas. My kids have been very involved in all kinds of things. Yeah, I know so many kids and so many parents. And so when I walk down the hall as a dean, and we've got 6,600 students, oh, sure. I yeah. can't know all of them. But I invariably, I, it's almost impossible, impossible for me to walk down the hall and not see a kid that I know or whose parents I know. Interesting. And even in 6,600 students, you know, of course, yeah, I'm picking yeah. them out because I would know them. But, you know, and some of them I've actually held when mm. they were toddlers. Gosh, we that makes me work feel in, old,
0: um, Yes. I mean, it, it doesn't make you feel old at all, does it? <laughs> it, I know that's not your yeah, point. I, know.
1: I, I find more and more meetings where I'm the oldest one in the meeting. I don't like that, uh, but but you know, seriously, that perspective makes me. It's trained me to be a dean that mm. sees every student as an important person. Yeah, you know, which I really think, if you think about it, everyone in business needs to be thinking that way. Yes, You need to see every associate every uh constituent every student every customer as a person
0: yeah that is so so true and if there's anything i I learned um or was reinforced is the power of just really connecting with a customer at a human level you couldn't be more right paco underhill who we all know and love for all this great great work and and behavioral observational behavioral research and getting out in stores um i I was curious when I talked to him about is um has data and data science and big data replaced the demand to go out and talk? Can you get everything you need to know through data? And it's not to throw data under the bus because I'm a huge fan of what data analytics can bring to customer insight. But uh, it's just he's like reinforced to me the power of going out and not just talking to customers but watching them. And he told a story about uh, he was outside a store and he asked a customer, Hey, did you um see the new cosmetic counter and whatever it was? And then did you get a over in the sporting goods? And 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 they would be saying stuff like, Yeah, yeah, I shopped there. I I think I got something out of that aisle or whatever. And everything he brought up did not exist in the store. <laughs> but the wow. person wasn't lying. They just their their what they thought was true didn't really happen and and sometimes when you just use surveys or you just use data you know you miss the bits that what you can actually see and so you just talk the power about going out in stores and watching and observing and and honestly there probably there's two words that that sum it up for me pay attention it's paying attention to how things really are and who how people are feeling how they're interacting is so powerful and and Someone I can't remember who said it, but they've never seen a human epiphany, a human truth, be revealed from a spreadsheet. There's certain things that you're just gonna, you're not gonna find it there. You'll find a lot of other great things like patterns sure. and insights, but but the human truths don't always reveal themselves that way.
1: So, Andy, I have another question for yeah. you because this is really, again, I find this topic fascinating. Yeah, you were founder and CEO mm-hmm. of Thompson Murray, that was eventually bought. Mm-hmm. by Sachin Sachi and, and renamed Saatchi and Sachi X that's right and you remained on as CEO for a number of years and of course Sachin Sachi really was a game changer in the concept of shopper marketing mm. i mean i didn't personally i had never heard the word shopper marketing until mm. you told me about it a long time ago and then you eventually uh, started mercury 11 and within a short period of time, that was purchased as well. And then you became SVP of marketing for Walmart, which is a huge deal. And then you were chief customer officer for ASDA in the UK. And of course, uh, now you're, you're really becoming a scholar of customer centricity and, and interviewing people and studying it and really trying to think about it. But, you know, you've had so many of these experiences. And I know you've recommended books to me. This summer, you recommended a book. I can't remember the title of it now, but I read it. Uh, which one was it?
0: Uh, the Uncharted. Uh, Let me see. I've got a couple there. Uncharted, How to Map the Future Together, Agile Transformation, uh, Alive at Work, Doing Agile Right by Daryl Rigby. There was a few that I was had on my list for okay,
1: Here it is. The one you recommended... You recommended two books to me this mm-hmm. summer. I read them both. One is called How Brands Grow. Oh, well, yeah. And I'm I first. one thing I loved about that book, it was, you know, it's, it's a book written for popular consumption. I mean, anyone right. can read it, but it's based on research yeah. in That's marketing, right. especially marketing science research. That's right. Which is a lot of practitioners don't even know what marketing science is. Mm-hmm you know, um, because, you know, most marketing isn't coming from a marketing science perspective. We actually in the the college started building that expertise, but the other book you recommended was what you recommended, what you mentioned earlier by Paco Underhill, why we buy. And I did, I read, I read both of those books and, you know, my point is you have seen marketing from many different angles. How did you, when did you start realizing that customer centricity was so important?
0: Well, when we look back at the early days of shopper marketing and what that was, I mean, that really was a study in understanding the customer journey. And shopper marketing was just to understand that people react differently when they're in a shopping mode than when they're consuming content on a couch watching television. And they can be influenced, they can be met, their needs can be met, they have different needs. And so the whole idea, honestly, of shopper marketing, wasn't called that back then, was basically customer journey work and customer experience and being and helping brands become more salient at different touch points or different moments of truth. As P&G coined back in the day, I think AG uh, talked about the first moment of truth, second moment of truth, that there are moments of truth that happen in the whole customer journey. And it's not just about consuming that. So to me, that that was the birth of, of really looking at customers more scientifically, more through a, a human understanding, a psychology of that and how it works. And so it's just been a, a continued journey of that. And one of the things that really put a, a, a fine point on it for me was being in the UK. because I do think they're probably about four or five years ahead of the US in a lot of different ways in retail uh, when you look at a uh, customer journey, customer experience work, the chief customer officer, for example, the scope of my remit was much broader that considered more touch points. And my job was to be the voice of the customer in the executive committee or making sure where key decisions were made, the voice of the customer was, was there and present. My ambition coming back and doing this is to help the marketing community transform and understand that because you get, if you're not If you don't have the materials and you haven't had those experiences, it can feel quite foreign. Most marketers of traditional brands haven't grown up in agile, a key technology to be customer-centric because that's been the, unless you're a dot-com pure play, because it really came from technology, where they may not be versed in the tech stacks you need today to properly manage customer data. And again, you're up very early with GDPR uh, and how you develop that data is typically outside of what a brand manager and a marketing campaign would ever really face. And so right. I think the roles have, trans- have transformed and it's transformed rather rapidly. And with omnichannel compression, like at Asta, they hit their eight-year targets on the roadmap for grocery home shopping in eight weeks. And it's pushing those two cultures together of a dot-com culture that operates with a different methodology than the physical retail. And those organizations, as they blend merchandising, blend different components together, you've got to harmonize the ways of working and the technology side's winning. And in terms of how you harmonize that, it's not the waterfall days are gone of how you do work and functional silos. It's no silos, no solos. It's really a different type of teamwork. And so I don't think most leaders are are as prepared and I'm not sure there's a lot of material out there that that helps. And so that's what on the search, trying to find people like Dr. Nick Fine, who's a, a very experienced in customer experience work and interesting things that are big surprise is that one of the questions is where should customer experience work sit in the organization, right? I thought it was a no-brainer. I thought marketing should have it. He was the first to push back and said, no, 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 no. Marketing's the worst place for it because uh, too many right brain thinkers over there. uh, And proper customer experience work is scientific method. And the IT and engineering people should be in charge of customer experience because it's about proper test and learn methods. And and I, that struck me as something I had never thought about. And so when marketing has it, they they might skip the whole testing thing, you know, and how you take a hypothesis, test it, prove it, validate it, and then say, you've got real proof there that this is what customers want. And again, didn't see that coming, but he made a great point. And I think this left brain, right brain connection is where the the magic is. And and companies today have been really focused, well, not today, since the industri- post-industrial era we've been optimizing and scaling efficiency and leaders are told you know they give the direction the doers do which makes for great left brain promotions and left brain leadership but the right brain now when you have to come up with new value propositions that's customer centric and ideas you hadn't thought of before the the right brain needs to come alive and that takes so much more making sure people feel they're doing meaningful work because you got to be in a creative headspace giving people the chance to think a bit more deeply about things and to go spot across different domains lots of things that that probably you teach or have taught around how to explore and think about new things and so but we've not been had the capacity or the training or promotion we've been promoting achievement based on doing things that work and do it quickly so it's a it's a mindset shift that I'm pretty excited about because I think it'll end up in more meaningful work for more people
1: so andy you've seen the evolution of marketing, technology, because I forgot to mention that you, you started your career as a computer programmer yeah. at Procter & Gamble and then moved into marketing, but you've seen yeah. the progression of marketing technology and marketing technology and now customer centricity. What do you think is next?
0: Well, on this particular journey, it became really clear to me that there's a lot, just like in the early days of shopper marketing, there's a lot of confusion a lot of perceptions about what agile even means what is a product manager what's a, a cx designer versus a customer user expert I mean, th- these terms are a bit you know muddled at times and so i think that hurts sub- the adoption and the speed of adoption so what i'm working on with the, the walton college is a checklist of the essentials Of what does it mean to be customer centric? To at least have there are about 12 things that can provide some simple definition. And we're creating as a checklist that could be downloaded off the Walton College site that people that are interested in this journey and maybe at the beginning stages can understand the core simple things like have all your customer data in one place. And that's the starting point. And a lot of people don't have that. They could be in hundreds of different places, but there's ways to get on this journey. And once you start on the journey, you begin to learn and go. And I think it's been missing that element of that. So I'll be working with the the faculty advisory team and getting this checklist there that feels like there's some starting points to bring the language together. And then Honestly, I think there's some initiatives that we could, uh, sub-initiatives that could be looked at in terms of one of the biggest barriers is measurement. How do you measure success? And one of the pieces of research that I looked at was in the top two things that cause customer centricity to stumble or is the hardest biggest barrier is lack of being able to create a business case. And so when you're looking at ROI and short-term ROI, it doesn't always reflect where the value really comes from on this journey. And so it might come from lifetime value of a customer or some other metrics that we traditionally don't use in finance to build the business case for funding and all the things that go with that. So I think measurement is one that a lot of people are struggling with. And if you're talking about, especially in retail, if you're talking about doing four or five things in a store to improve that customer experience and give it that wow factor or engage people differently, when you talk about scaling that to a couple thousand, 3,000 stores... There's a real desire to break it apart and find attribution points on which pieces are really driving that performance when it actually works together in a holistic way. And we don't have the measurement tools really to provide that kind of clarity so that the finance guys can pencil that properly and weigh that against other potential investments. And so that's probably one of the biggest barriers that I've seen that would be nice to have a sub team maybe jump on and see if we can bring some light to that. That's great. Okay, Matt. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you for giving me the freedom to go exploring and looking for ideas and insights and be glad to looking forward to the upcoming 11, 12 episodes. The last episode is a summary with four students that tracked all, all of the episodes together and a little panel discussion with those four students. And they uh, were great, and it was. It's a nice way to recap. And by the way, quick shout out to to Molly and her team. Uh, they did a great job. She's done a great job of supporting it. So on almost every every episode, we have students that will pop in and ask a question of whoever I'm talking to, and they have great questions. And every guest loved answering the student questions and providing that type of advice. So the students have been very engaged and some great support by Caitlin Brink, the product manager at MonThink, who's been uh, tirelessly working behind the scenes. Matt, this is a lot of work putting these podcasts together. Oh, it is. The learning (laughs) curve was huge. And you do a great job. I, I didn't really appreciate how well you do those and how much work you probably had to put into getting to the level you're at with it. But it's a, it's a bit of work. It takes a team. And I just, I love the team I've got the helping. They're, they're all great people.
1: Well, thank you, Andy, for all you're doing. We are very fortunate to be able to collaborate with you on customer centricity. I'm so glad you moved back to Northwest Arkansas from London.
0: And I love it here. Welcome home. Thanks, Matt. I'll talk to you soon. Look forward to the first episode.
1: Sounds good. Take care. Bye Thanks. Bye.
0: That's it for this episode of It's a Customer's World. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I'd be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's a customer's world podcast as a product of the University of Arkansas customer centric leadership initiative and a Walton College original production.